before we start today's episode, if you are looking for more inspiration, visit my column on bizcommunity.com where I unpack the burning marketing issues that businesses face today. You can sign up for our FutureFit masterclasses at booyah.co.za to build connected customer experiences and also check out our other cool services. Last but not least, don't forget to book your tickets to our regular FutureFit networking events aimed at helping you surf the tsunami of change. The events bring fresh perspectives with tour de force speakers and thought leaders as we debate, learn, inspire, connect. Tickets always sell fast, so book today. All the links you need appear in the show notes of the episode or on the website. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Wellness Fit episode with the amazing Taryn Pickup from the Wellness Space. Hello Taryn, how are you? Are you there? I am there. Hello. <laughs> it's always so good to have you and um, super excited. We are going into quite an interesting topic today, which is um, emotions and the subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. Recently, you spoke at one of um, the Future Fit networking events that we did, themes around woke fit. And mm -hmm. I was hanging on your lips on this one. So maybe you can take us through your approach and how to become wellness fit in this particular arena. Okay, cool. So I think what people don't realize is a lot of kind of the actions that play out in their daily lives or the kind of dis-ease or disruption that they have, whether that be anxiety, depression, anger, fear, OCD. You know, children also have like a whole host of different things that happen is ultimately because it's been driven on a level by our subconscious minds and the things that we have learned or the behaviors that we've modeled. And while we think we consciously have control over them, a lot of the time there are subconscious patterns, belief systems, et cetera, that are kind of overriding in the background. So I think we have to remember that the subconscious mind is not this massive dichotomy from your conscious mind, that the two actually work in hand in hand, um, but we just call them different states, if you will. But remember that the subconscious mind is non-critical or judgmental, so it doesn't analyze or reason. It simply gathers the input and the data as it sees it, how it records it, how it's experienced it. And after that, it starts conditioning. It becomes part of a program or an instruction for it, and those messages, et cetera, are ultimately received by the conscious mind. So there's no real filter system when it comes to your subconscious mind. And as, as children or traumatic experiences, as adults will either put a kind of decision on an experience or will put an emotional, the word is uh, kind of like an emotional cue to a specific moment or something that happens, which then may drive how we experience or do things in the future. So this is interesting because this can go to anything from why you might be stuck in a pattern of depression or a cycle of depression versus why you have this weird, uncontrollable, not sensical <laughs> phobia of pigeons. So, oh my gosh. Oh, my husband is ornophobic. I love the example. I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> and, and oddly enough, there are quite a few people who have odd bird um, phobias. And it's interesting because I was talking to someone the other day and they were like, oh, my word, it's a bird. I was like, no, I'm <laughs> I can't even relate for like four seconds. I'm like, what do you 
Taryn's having a moment. She's like crying, laughing here on the other side. If you could only see it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, and I think it's interesting because most people have some sort of odd understanding, but they might not have quite made the connection. So I said to the person that I was with, I was like, seriously, birds. Like, so when did this start? And she was like, no, I think as a child. I think as a child, I think I had a bad experience with a bird once and it's just ever since. So she can't articulate it and she can't tell me like a particular time or what was so terrible about that experience. But for some reason, her subconscious mind has anchored on birds being a terrible experience and all birds must be hated and denied and strapped <laughs> off the <map. laughs> Anyway, <laughs> but listen, I have to tell you a story, right? So when I was a little girl, my dad made fish cakes for us. And, you know, I grew up in Durban, so it was gala day in the sun. And I ate my fish cakes for lunch <laughs> and uh, I got very ill, got food poisoning. And I cannot handle the smell of fish. It cannot come close to me. Is there any way mm-hmm. that you can almost condition yourself to change Mm -hmm. that like i would love to be able to eat fish because it's healthier to eat right but i mean like how would you ever change your palate or reverse it because it's connected to this horrible memory Hmm. and i think that's the nail on the head it's connected ultimately to a memory so don't forget there's a mind-body connection so for you the memory connection is obviously connected to the physical which is the sense of feeling ill and you've got to then also decide, well, what's happening first? Are you making yourself feel ill or we're triggering the memory or is the memory triggering and then we're making ourselves feel ill? Um, but yes, basically you can reverse it. You can use hypnosis to do it. And ultimately what we're doing is basically a desensitization. Mm-hmm. So incrementally, you can use visualization depending on how interesting. <laughs> visualization <laughs> with fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How interesting the hypnotherapist might be. They might bring, I don't know, they could, I suppose, bring fish into the setting and you could basically work with incremental desensitization. That's ultimately what you're doing to unhinge that experience. Yeah, so it can be done. It's not impossible. And yes, you can go forth and eat fish. (laughs) (laughs) I would like that. Panic attacks is another example, right? I think more people have panic attacks than ever before. So... That's probably also something to... I think so. this all kind of relates. So uh, to me, the past goes kind of like this. So there's stress and stress compounds and compounds and compounds over time. And that's either because your subconscious mind has hooked on to an experience or an understanding of something very way back in time, just depending, it's, um, you know, on a situation and... It, then what happens is that every time a stressor interacts with a similar or same type of experience that's understood by your subconscious mind, we compound on it, right? So the stress builds and the stress builds and the stress builds. 
which ultimately lands up leading to some level of anxiety. And you then get very different types of expressions of panic attacks. So, yeah, not uncommon, um, becoming more and more common, um, separation anxiety with children. So there's also various different kind of subcategories of anxiety. You know, after anxiety comes depression, and then you start going into the field of kind of like bipolar, and that may oh. even lead to kind of psychosis, those kind of things. So it just depends on how far up the chain we go. You know, like ultimately what we're doing is that there's a very real also kind of understanding without going too deep into this or like losing an audience. But, you know, if you talk about physics and kind of the, the interaction between closed and complex systems and how things work on a physics level, Ultimately, we as humans would want the middle ground, which is harmony. But when we edge too close to the proverbial edge, we can slip into a disharmony, which is either that kind of like anxiety and the depression, which is ultimately a pattern that is being driven by the subconscious mind. That's so interesting because previously we were talking um, about the pills, right? And popping pills. And, and this is such an important thing is that what we tend to do is when we're getting anxious or panic attacks or depression, we always turn to medication to solve mm. that problem. But mm. that's an underlying issue that's sitting within the subconscious mind, right? Yeah. So I think this really just depends on which field of thought that you're coming from, you know. And one of the things we have also mentioned in the past before is that, you know, well, what are doctors doing to really diagnose depression? Is it the play the pull game, which one works best for your chemistry? I, AKA, we still haven't done anything to test serotonin levels. People aren't necessarily warned on how bad the side effects are, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, your body's created the pattern. So why can't you uncreate the pattern? Mm. Right? So something started it. How do you uncreate it? And to me, it's nonsensical to say, well, a tablet's going to solve that. 100%. Um, I, think, I think you can use medicine as a adjunct. Um, mm. And I think look at therapy as, as a complement to what you're doing and look more holistically in terms of how you're going to approach things. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And also when you become reliant on medication, like, I mean, I'm being open here. Um, so after my mom had her strokes and, you know, there was multiple things that were happening in my life. I did, you know, start using medication just to de-stress me and to make sure that I'm calm all the time. But you also become reliant on it. Mm -hmm. And that is the path that you don't want to go because, you know, these are things that um, eventually everything settles down and you don't want to grab at a pull just because you are experiencing a tough time. So mm -hmm. that brings it back to mindfulness and to also find a way where you can have a safe place within your mind to settle your emotions, if I can put it that way. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's ultimately about giving yourself, if you've forgotten the tools, you know, perhaps in which you were raised with, or perhaps they were never maybe taught to you particularly well, is, you know, with a lot of the therapy stuff that I'm doing now and the stuff that I tend to see is people's resilience to build and their ability to build resilience around certain things, but also for people to teach their children resilience as opposed to kind of fixing their problems and their solutions, helicopter parenting, basically being able to build that resilience as an adult and knowing that the bad times also shall pass, but, you know, finding a way forward from a mental state 
we're in attitudinal states in terms of getting you kind of over your hurdles, et cetera, et cetera. You said something very profound at the WorkFit event. And for those of you who weren't there, you mentioned like the neurons in your mind amounts to the stars in the galaxy. Talk yeah. to us about that. Cool. I love that. Yeah. So basically, so what we're saying is that now we've been on the topic of the subconscious mind and we're saying, cool, all this programming and all these belief systems. But then, you know, like I always think of people that come to me and go, okay, now what? So now what? How do I undo it? <laughs> right? So what happens with the brain is, you know, we're a thinking, doing brain. And when we think, we create feelings, which in turn creates the behavior, which creates a response. And all of this is fired up by the neurons, which are in our brain, which is ultimately the organ part of our mind. And with 100 billion neurons, that's also the same as basically having the Milky Way in your brain. But not only are there neurons, but we've got synapses. And between the synapses and neurons, there's so much going on that ultimately we have basically what we know or understand as our immediate galaxy is the equivalent of that amount of stars being shoved into our heads, which is like sure. the number of neurons that we actually have to that function. So the same way we learn something new or the same way we've taken for granted how to walk, you forget that when children are born or when we were born, we didn't come out of the womb walking. I mean, as lovely as that would be, but haha, sadly not. <laughs> you know? Um, we learn how to walk. We have to fire a neural pathway. We have to learn to understand left foot, right foot balance inertia, understanding, you know, when you crash into something, how to slow down, how to stop. If you think about walking or having to explain walking to someone, how consciously you have to be so aware of what you're saying in that process, we now take it for granted. You get out of bed and you walk and it's left, right, left, right. You don't consciously have to think left, right, left, right. So that's basically how you fire something in your neural pathway to the point that it becomes subconscious, that you've learned it over time, so many times repetitively, that it's a part of who you are and you take it for granted. So it's the same thing. Those neural pathways are constantly working to learn new things or understand new things. And ultimately, we have the law of the mind, which is we cannot hold on to two opposing um, effects at the same time. So how do we break down negative belief thoughts and patterns and systems that have been created over time that we're not even aware of anymore? we basically learn to build up new neural pathways around that. So your relaxation, your visualization, desensitization, all of those kind of things will then help you to build new connections and new neural pathways. And when we do that, we disintegrate the old ones, which means we make the new ones stronger, which are a more positive kind of outcome for us, if that makes sense. It does, totally. So... In closing, if you could summarize the emotions in the subconscious mind, how, how can we be more woke to that and apply better strategies or better habits in order to be more conscious? So I think being more aware of our thought processes and the lenses in which we view our lives, the reactions that we have to things, these can sometimes be the largest kind of personal impediments to creating change for oneself and that that can keep us stuck. So once we start to view the world in a different way or have had that information reframed to us or learn a better way to do things and we change those neural pathways, 
it ultimately means that once we change our thought process, we can also change our emotional state. And for me, the biggest picture out of all of that is that when we begin to change ourselves as human beings, we actually ultimately begin to change our sphere of influence around us. So to our children, to our family, to our friends, and ultimately that's the one way to, I suppose, leave something positive in the world. I love that. That's so beautiful. Well, I'm very excited about um, our next episode, which you guys have to tune in for, which will be all around meditation and mindfulness. And we might share a few tools that you can use in order to become more mindful and to meditate with. Anyway, I'm Taryn. It's been amazing. And we'll check you out next week. Awesome. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Bye. To our amazing audiences around the world, thank you so much for your ongoing support. Please take a moment to review and rate your favorite episodes, which will help others find us. You mean the world to me, and I thank you for being part of my journey to get people future fit. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. For show notes and more episodes, visit solidgoldstudios.co.za slash Carmen Murray.